the estimates were that was what 300 plus billion dollars was being bet illegally or in the gray markets inside of the United States. This is prior to PASPA. Now, it's like, what will that number be in the future? And a lot of people talking about that this market could be four or five hundred plus billion dollars um, with, throughout this whole industry. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Alomes. Great to have you joining us again this week. And we have a slightly different structure to our show for this episode. We're going across to a panel session that happened at the end of last year in Frisco, just north of Dallas at the USA Sports Tech Conference, uh, one of the many events we run around the world as part of the Sports Tech World Series. And this discussion is all about sports betting. So obviously a very hot topic at the moment, especially when it comes to the US. So this is first part is, is focusing really on the US specific um, changes that have happened. Obviously, uh, May in 2018, the Supreme Court of the United States issued a ruling that struck down the Professional Amateur Sports Protection Act, PASPA. That's the 1992 federal law that prevented states from regulating sports betting. So that opened the door to legalize sports betting uh, within the US for each state. But also, it opened the door for a lot of uh, technology and startups and entrepreneurs to basically innovate in that area. And that's really the meat of this uh, of this discussion today. So the discussions between Nicole Metzger-Schall, Corporate Counsel at SportRadar, obviously global leader in, in data collection, Wayne Kimmel, Managing Partner at 76 Capital, so long-time uh, venture capitalist, uh, investor in sports technology. Uh, we featured one of his portfolio companies, uh, Shot Tracker, with Davian Ross a few weeks ago. So we'll definitely put a link to that if you want to follow up on that. And it's moderated by Nathan Rothschild, co-founder of Genius Tech Group. So actually an Australian company, some really interesting stuff they're doing with uh, SportRadar, for instance, with data providers, but also with teams. So they just announced a recent deal with the Lakers um, around some of their sports games. So basically quite a broad discussion. Starts off with a bit of an introduction. So if you're not an expert on, on betting or the kind of legislative regime in the US, don't be afraid. I wasn't either. And, and they really do a good job of stepping through that. But then they get into talking about how technology can be used to ensure integrity in sports betting by using data analytics to identify sports betting related corruption. Also some things around OTT and second screen experience using those, those statistics and, uh, and kind of overlays. So if you have any uh, feedback on this, then please get in touch at thomas at sportstechfeed.com. Definitely leave a review and, and like it if you do on Apple Podcasts. We're obviously available on Spotify. So sportstechfeed.com for the show notes and I'll include uh, bios of our fantastic panel. But here it is, it's sports betting panel on Sports Tech Feed. Thank you for joining us today. So this one I'm going to start with, Nikki, what was PASPA and how did we get here? Sure, absolutely. Um, just to give a quick rundown, my name is Nikki Metzger-Schall. Um, as introduced, I'm corporate counsel at Sport Radar. For those of you who don't necessarily know, Sport Radar is an international data supplier to the sports media and sports betting industries. So those mobile sports betting apps, the casino sports books, most of that's our data supplying that pricing and odds information. We also have a robust integrity services unit and obviously our media services sits hand in hand with our sports betting supply. Beautifully said. Wayne, I've got so enthusiastic going to the questions that I wouldn't even bother introducing the panel. Wayne, please quickly tell us who you are and your background. 
My name is Paspa. No. Um, no, no. <laughs> you have no name anymore. No. It's gone. No. Um, Paspa is exciting. We will talk about it. Uh, but my name is Wayne Kimmel, I'm a managing partner at 76 Capital. And we are a venture capital fund that focuses solely on the sports tech industry, esports industry, and sports betting. And this is just such an exciting time right now um, within sports and all the new innovation that's coming down the pike. We're, we're thrilled to be you know, startup investors. We're here to meet entrepreneurs, try to find new opportunities to invest in, and um, here to you know, talk to you about you know, some of the things we've invested in as well as um, PASPA. <laughs> so Wayne's VC, so if there's anyone looking for startup funding, make sure you ask a really intelligent question when we come to the Q&A. That will get Wayne's attention. Um, just quickly introduce myself, co-founder and partner at Genius Tech Group. We now go by GTG Network. Um, if any of you have seen any of the free-to-play games that DraftKings have been running, so Coors Light-sponsored NCAF game, if you look at the bottom, you'll see a really familiar logo. Likewise, the Pepsi-sponsored NFL game, all the consumer-facing content and sort of stats on their sports book. Again, you're going to see a familiar-facing logo um, on the bottom of that. But... Let's get on to PASPA as we go back to five minutes ago. So what was PASPA? How did we get here? And let's talk just a little bit about sort of the history of sports being the US and where we are at the moment. And we're going to then sort of move through opportunities and where we're going to get to in the future. Sure. Well, now that PASPA has introduced himself, uh, PASPA essentially was the Professional and Amateur Sports Protectionism Act. And it was legislated in 1992 in an effort to thwart sports betting in the United States. Effectively, what that law did was say that anybody who's engaging in bookmaking, anybody who wants to regulate, and that is key, sports betting in the United States on a state-by-state -state basis is not allowed. There was a couple carve-outs. There's a couple technicalities here and there with the law. But long story short, this, this law was held unconstitutional last year in May of 2014. And that's all thanks to our good friend, Chris Christie, in New Jersey for challenging it. In 2012, Chris Christie decided that by referendum in New Jersey, they wanted to be able to offer sports betting within the state. Unfortunately, the leagues, the NFL, the MLB, NBA, NHL, all challenged that on the basis of PASPA, which essentially criminalized the regulation of sports betting. Supreme Court denied to hear the case when the Chris Christie and his team took it, to the, took it and tried to get cert granted. From there, they started from scratch. So in 2014, 2013 actually, the Supreme Court decided to hear a case on the basis of whether or not a state is allowed to legalize sports betting. And I know I'm probably one of the only lawyers in the room, but there's a big difference. Ah! PASPA himself is. Uh, there's that was a, a long way for you to go to find the next one. <laughs> the, um, th there's a big difference between legalizing and regulating. You have to legalize before you can regulate. So New Jersey had another chance. Supreme Court picked up the case after New Jersey lost several times in the lower courts. And the Supreme Court said PASPA is unconstitutional on the basis of the Tenth Amendment, which tells us that the United States government cannot command, commandeer, or dictate how a state can and cannot pass its laws. So it was held unconstitutional in full in May of last year, 2018, and here we are, 17 months later, with 14 states who have live sports betting and 20 jurisdictions, Puerto Rico included, 
that have passed legislation and legalized sports betting. Perfect. So we go back to May 14 last year, and I was speaking to Wayne about it last night and a little bit before our panel now, and you can imagine that a size of the market of the United States that it, outside Nevada sports betting because of um, PASPA, it was completely illegal. There was, there's plenty of, and we'll talk a bit about it, there's plenty of grey market or more point black market here, sports betting, but regulated sports betting was illegal outside of Nevada, which is sort of kind of remarkable that that was the case and sort of PASPA was well overdue to be um, repealed. But as I go through to May 14 last year, I still remember in my email inbox that you can imagine this market's opening up and I actually thought that Gmail was about to explode because there was just everyone in the industry was emailing each other saying, hey, have you heard this news? Well, everyone had heard about the news because this was the biggest news to hit global sports betting pretty much ever. Um, so, I mean, during May 14 last year, I mean, both, all three of us are sort of you know, inextricably intertwined to the commerce of sports betting. Do you remember when it was repealed? It was late at night for me because I was back home in Australia at that point. It was a far more uh, appropriate time for you two um, in terms of, you know, the, our lives sort of got turned upside down a bit as a result of this one court decision. I remember Sport Radar, we had a war room. We were just locked away in a conference room the entire day thinking about what we're going to do next. I mean, we had been supplying data to sports books internationally for so long and so successfully. Now this new and emerging market was opening up in, in our home. So we were ready to go, taking calls, looking at the case, reading, reading the opinion. And 17 months later, here we are. Here we are. It was, it was someday. I mean, it was in the middle of the day, right? It happens and everyone's like, oh my God, oh my God. What? And the first thing I did was I, I went to, you know, some, the team, my team members and I said like, listen, I'm going to Vegas. I'm going out West. I'm getting out there right away because we had been talking to a number of companies that we were thinking about investing in and we were waiting and waiting and waiting for this decision to come down. And that weekend... I think it was the middle of the week, if I remember correctly. I mean, that weekend, I went right out to um, first to San Francisco, then to um, Las Vegas, and we put term sheets out like right away on a couple companies, and um, we're just thrilled, just thrilled at what's happening now. I mean, we, look, it's it's what what happened was, what, you know, what Nathan was just mentioning was like there was there's this gray market, the the illegal market of 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 sports betting in the U.S. So if you were going to bet. You know, if you're you're betting online, you're up until May 14th of last year, it was illegal. Um, well, actually, it's not illegal if you're betting; it's illegal for them to take your money. Right. right? So, I have to be careful with what I say around the uh, council over here. Um, but, hey, you but, too. <laughs> uh, but that's but that that, that is that is that is a, right. an interesting thing. You, you so as an, you you are not really doing anything wrong, but they are if um, they take your to take your money. But the same. So, so what was hap What immediately happened was there's just this this. In this excitement, this rush, this oppor these opportunities that were now popping popping up because, you know, the estimates were that was what three hundred plus billion dollars was being bet illegally or in the gray markets inside of the United States. Mm -hmm. This is prior to PASPA. Now it's like, what will that number be in the future? And a lot of people talking about that this market could be four or five hundred plus billion dollars um, with throughout this whole industry. So it was a really exciting time. It was a really exciting new market that opened. And as venture capitalists focused on the sports industry, it was like, this is, to us, this was like the internet all over again. Here we go, huge market, even more so guaranteed than what 
we knew back in the 90s when I first got into the venture capital business because people weren't really sure if that internet thing was really going to work. Uh, this, we know people you know, love sports. They love to bet. They bet. They do bet. And now it's legal. So here we go. Clearly, a regulated sports betting market is good for integrity. So I just want to talk, Nikki works a lot with that inside her role at Sports Writer. What are some of the pros of the, um, with, as it relates to integrity of sports betting becoming legalized and regulated within the United States? Well, with respect solely to integrity and at least the league, so I'll speak on that side of it, it, it brings all three parties much closer. So to have a contractual relationship between the sport, the individual league, the bookmaker, and the party between, who really is Sport Radar, the data supplier, who's taking information from one party and giving it to the next, it really brings them closer together to facilitate open information sharing. If you think about it, the leagues are in the business of producing a game. They're producing the competition that we love so much, and the competition is what drives us to bet. It's what we're interested in, in viewing when we turn on Fox or we turn on ABC, we turn on ESPN. They're not necessarily in the best position to identify betting-related sport corruption. So that's really where Sport Radar comes in because we work in so many markets around the world. We work with every continent except for Antarctica. Um, we're able to identify suspicious movements in betting lines, suspicious movements in market activity, and really help leagues, regulators, and all of the parties involved in the industry identify and keep the competition alive that we love so much. Um, the contractual relationship is key, and the open information sharing really is key. This is where we agree um, and sort of disagree a little bit here. Um, we're, we're, you know, as venture capitalists, we've identified certain areas within the within the market, um, within sports betting is that we've invested in. So from a, we, we think there's opportunities to invest in entrepreneurs that are doing things innovative in the data collection side of the industry. We just heard uh, down the hall from Davion Ross from Shot Tracker, which is one of our portfolio companies, that they've, you know, they capture real-time data in the middle of, you know, basketball games, and that information eventually will then be, will be used in the, in the, um, sports betting world. We also think there's opportunities from the analytics side um, for entrepreneurs. We think there's opportunities from the media perspective. Uh, we also um, are investors in a company on the integrity side of the business where we believe there's, you know, just like, you know, you just heard how there's, there's, it's really important to make sure that things are on the up and up, on the court, on the field, um, across, you know, the pitch, whatever it is, right? I mean, you really, it's, it's really important that this is, that this is all, you know, on, on the up and up. So, you know, our company, um, U.S. Integrity, is, is doing this right now for a number of colleges um, and conferences as well as leagues, uh, some, you know, some of which um, that we, that are, are similar to what we, you know, what Sport Radar does, but these guys are, are just a third-party company that solely focuses on the integrity side. And I think that's a really, it's an important thing that we both, you know, do, do agree on. That it's important that we make sure that everything is, is, is done right so that you can have a, a real level playing field out there. I mean, similar to what's happened with, you know, the, the markets out there today, right? There the SECs out there, you know, SEC allows people to kind of, you know, feel that you get, if you're going to, you know, buy stocks and, and, and participate within the market, it's legit. And that's a really important thing that we have to do because from our perspective at 76 Capital, we also, we believe that the sports betting market will look like the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange in the future. People will actually, you know, 
bet at this at, you know at rates that people can't even imagine right now how fast the data and how fast things are going to be moving and the amount of money that's going to be moving um, within these industries. I mean, just, you know, one of the things that we talk about, Nevada was the only state in, in America that had sports betting prior to PASPA being over, over um, sorry, excuse me, repealed. And that was a nice $5 billion market. It was a cottage little industry in Nevada. And there's Jimmy and Vinny and, and, and all the guys, you know, they and Johnny. Right, I mean, they're, they're, these are real names. These are real names of the guys, you know, that are that that, that basically ran the books for for many many years. And when you know there was too much money on the Cowboys, and they would just kind of call up their buddy and like, hey, you know, I got a hundred grand, you know, too much on the Cowboys because you know they're playing the Redskins, and you, you know what, what's going on over your book? Can we kind of level I mean, level things out and kind of figure it all out and just kind of we'll all get sort of even? And that was fine. And that was great because that's just the way things were. Now, it's not just going to be 100,000. It's going to have a lot more zeros on it. It's going to happen faster. There's going to be, it's, and the other thing which I guess is, is fascinating, what's, what's coming to the US more as fast as you can even imagine is in-play betting, right? So now it's, it's, you don't have to get your bet in before the kickoff, before the tip-off. You can play all the way through the game. And that's something that is really interesting, really exciting um, from a innovation perspective, from a, you know, for a, from a fan engagement perspective. I mean, your team could be getting killed in the third quarter, but you could still stay in there because you come up with, you know, a really cool prop bet late in the game. Or just, you may decide to start betting on balls and strikes or whatever it is. This is all possible today and be, will be even, will get better and better and better in the future. Speaking about in play, that you look at some of the more mature markets. So you go to Europe, where depending on the operator, Southern take more than 80% of their bets in play. So we'll say 15% pre-match, but once it commences, that's when the real money starts for them. In Australia, we've got a bunch of stupid politicians who have made in-play betting illegal on the internet. Put you all to sleep until it speaks very poorly of some of the things that we've done back home. But let's talk about some of the the foreign jurisdiction. Let's talk about Europe. That. Um, how do you see, what learnings do you think we're going to be taking in the US from what's happened in Europe and how popular do you think mobile sports betting will be here compared to Europe? Well, Europe is obviously our older brother, I would say, in terms of the sports betting industry. Uh, Europe does it very well. You've got very sophisticated bet, bet types, very sophisticated markets. You're seeing in-play, again, 80% of the book is typically on in-play betting, which correlates directly with mobile. Mobile wagering is huge. And if we want to see the $300 billion number handle the total stakes wagered, we have to make sure that mobile betting is, is legalized state by state and across the board. Um, it's also where we're going to see those more sophisticated bet types and where we're going to see those more fun and engaging types of proposition bets. The more we see legislation coming out, at least at Sport Radar, the more we try to lend a helping hand in looking at our sophisticated markets in Europe and those right now in, in our home nation. New Jersey, I think last month it was 83% of all bets taken were, were mobile-based and were in play. So it's we're definitely going to see more and more of that as legalization and legislation continues, but I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Probably just a, an interesting nuance of the U.S. sports betting market. A lot of 
the mobile-only operators actually need to do a deal with the land-based casino. It's what we call market access, that unless you do a deal with the land-based casino, you actually can't operate a mobile sports book. There are some states where you're going to actually need to go into a physical casino to register for an exclusively mobile product. I was one state. Is there anyone from Iowa in here? No? I don't need to be that careful what I say. Now, that's fine. Lovely people in Iowa. But, but it's, it's, really, it's really interesting that in today's day and age, we're in 2019, only a couple of months left, and you need to physically go into a casino and you need to you know, handwrite your details down and then you're going to get access to actually be able to operate a mobile app on your phone and place a sports bet. I mean, in different states will be different. Tennessee is going to be mobile only. Um, but, and as an Australian coming in for like a foreigner's perspective, that... Um, something I've learned that the United States, as it relates to sports betting, is not really one country. It's 50 separate countries that all sort of operate fairly autonomously. And I understand it's certainly not exclusive to sports betting, but the level of um, autonomy, then you talk about crossing state lines, and here we go with the Wire Act. We knew it was coming. <laughs> Has anyone here heard of the Wire Act? I'm quoting all these cases that no one cares about. But th this is something, certainly plenty of people from America in here, that there's an act written in 1961 which legislates the use of the internet. So just sort of comprehend that for a second. I'll show you, no one in 1961 had any idea what the internet was. So, um, but there is sort of some really unique nuances of the US sports betting market. So I go on my rant here. Um, and eventually this will sort of mature to what other sort of more mature jurisdictions look like. Right. But it's a pretty crazy world out there at the moment. Right. If you think about it, and you can probably speak to this as well, in terms of, of legislation in the United States, getting 20 states and one jurisdiction to roll out legislation in 17 months is crazy fast. The only thing that's really slowing it up, again, you've got local political influence, you've got local constituency considerations, but we have this looming fear of the Wire Act, which essentially says you cannot place bets that cross state lines. And as I'm sure you all know, you can't really control where data crosses state lines in terms of the internet. Um, so there's a couple of states who are a bit more hesitant due to the looming elephant in the room, but Nathan is, Nathan is right. Thank you. Probably be something that we'll see more of in the future. Being overturned, excuse me. Yeah, I don't think in 1961 when they were, so the Wire Act was actually introduced to sort of stop the mob and sort of their influence in terms of sports betting. I don't think they're worried about Google Cloud and Amazon EC2 as how that would relate to, um, to sports betting. But I mean, what we have seen as a result of the repeal of PASPA is opportunities and deals are being done all over the place. Just this week, there was a monster deal announced out of Europe where the Stars Group and Flutter Entertainment, who are probably best known for Paddy Power, Betfair, um, they have Sports Bet back in Australia, who are one of our clients, that they've announced that there's an intent to merge. And that has shaken up. No one saw it coming other than the investment bankers who are going to make a killing from it. So sadly, you went in on that deal, Wayne, I believe. But um, next one. Um, but that is... I mean, just one example, and that's heavily um, dictated because of what's going on in the US. That's why, without the US, this deal would not have happened. That you're seeing, you know, deals now in the size of the tens of billions um, that are going on. And I mean, as we sort of go down the food chain a little bit, but Wayne, that's been kept your life very busy in terms of some of the deals that you're seeing and you're sort of actively looking at. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 super exciting. And and, and again, I'll, I'll sort of draw a um, almost an analogy to the '90s, and I kind of look at what's what happened in the in the '90s when the internet was first getting going. Right, you had these incredible incumbent companies. You had like GE and IBM and Microsoft, and and they were the big tech companies. And when the internet came around, like they should have won the internet. Right, they should have won. But what ended up happening? They got knocked out by entrepreneurs who created these companies called Amazon, Google, Facebook, 
you know, like wh wh where do they come from? They were all, they were entrepreneurs that just created things within this space. And so we believe, and you know, fortunately back then, you know, I was an investor in, in Seamless Web, which is now public as Grubhub. We were like one of the, you know, the people were like, wait, you're gonna order food online, right? I mean, it was like this crazy thing back then, but like it, it, it happened, right? I mean, it happened, and that's and we see the same exact thing happening here with sports betting, where you have these incredible incumbent sports betting companies that are the operators. So some of those names, like the MGMs, and you know, even you know, even some of the the big guys in in Europe, and you've got tech companies you know, that are, are that run, um, you know, a number of the sports books, whether or or, or um, you know, in some of the, the slot machine companies, Scientific Games, IGT, all these really, really big companies that are publicly traded companies that now all of a sudden have been, they, all they had been doing is like doing business in Nevada. And now they have to scale their businesses all across the country. And as, as, as Nathan was just saying, it's like 50 different countries that they have to sort of, net, well, now it's, only, now it's only 20, but it's going to be you know, the, rest of the, the rest of the states. And they have to now oper, oper, open up operations all across the country. And they have to innovate. And they have, their apps have to look good. I mean, if you look at a lot of the apps that are on the phone today, you're like, wait a second, like, this doesn't look like my normal sites that I go on. These are just old time looking websites. You don't websites. like the Comic Sans font, which. Uh... No, man, it's crazy, right? So, like, it's so it's when you, so the opportunity is to create and, and, and be one of those entrepreneurs that creates the Amazon, the Facebook, the Googles of the sports betting industry. And those are the types of people and companies that we want to invest in. Yeah. Wayne makes a really good point. If you look at internationally, if you look at betting menus, if you look at a user experience or a user interface, you're seeing the same thing from app to app, from website to website. And I've said this before, if there's, maybe it's a bit nationalist of me, but if there's any country or any market in the world that can take an otherwise stagnant user interface and user experience and really turn it on its head, it's going to be the United States. So I would just like to echo the huge amount of opportunity that we're seeing, not only on the product-based side, but on the market access deals, the media side, engaging users who aren't necessarily your target demographic for sports bettors. I mean, I would say look around this room, which you still can. <laughs> your, your average individual is sitting in front of us who is the target demography for sports bettors. It's a 30-year-old white male in the US. So how do you get somebody who's my demographic on, on your app, how do you get me engaged in, in placing a sports bet? I love the NBA. I don't necessarily want to bet on it. So what can we do here to, to take the industry and really flip it, flip it on its head to see more of that demographic change? And speaking of big deals, there was a monster deal announced early this year between um, Foxbet, basically Fox and the Stars Group, which has become Foxbet, which they've launched. Some of you might have seen some of their advertising. They're live in Jersey. They're live in Pennsylvania. I mean this was considered a really big step forward for the industry because sports betting still has its elements from various sectors that it's a little bit taboo and, you know, gambling is bad and what we'll call some slightly older uh, type views of the industry. But what this deal allowed us to do, here we've got, you know, Rupert Murdoch coming and going, hey, I'm getting straight into betting because that's effectively what had happened. So what we're seeing as a result of the deal is that, one, there's certainly going to be more deals between operators and media companies that uh, we'll probably 
been in meetings that we don't talk about, but there's lots of stuff happening in that space. Yeah, I mean, the media side of things is really exciting, and, and we're, we're an investor right now. We're actually going to do another one, a new, another media company deal soon, but we're, we're investors in a company called Vsin right now. It's vsin.com. Uh, it's Brent Musburger, the legendary broadcaster, decided that he wanted to create a 24-hour sports betting channel, basically to create the CNBC of sports betting. And now you can go on and, and watch, watch VEASAN 24 hours a day talking about where the lines started, where they are when the, the game started, as the lines are moving during the game, and then what happened afterwards, and then how the lines are set for the next set, the next set of games. It's really interesting. It's different types of talk than you, you normally have with kind of the, the sports talk radio hosts when they just kind of yell at each other. This is really breaking down the games, breaking down the numbers, breaking down the lines, and it's really, really great content. And, you know, it's exciting to build this, you know, just like what... You know, the CNBC put a studio in the middle of the New York Stock Exchange to sort of show what was going on inside of there. We did the same thing. We put our studio right in the middle of a sports book, the only 24-hour sports book in Las Vegas, and we cover the industry. And it's it's really great. If you're ever, if any of you are ever in Vegas, uh, let me know. Uh, I'll definitely give you a Wayne great tour. Wayne will hook tour. you up. He's oh, the man. No, no problem. Please, <laughs> let me know. There, there is a big conference in Vegas coming up the week after next G2E, which is... Um, for anyone outside the gambling industry, a fairly remarkable conference where it's basically held on the, at, the, um, at the Venetian, at the expo centre there. But as you go through the conference floor, it's like you're on the floor of a casino. There's just sort of slot machines everywhere. And really, land-based casino had completely controlled that conference up until really last year and even still last year where it was all about basically slot machines. Whereas now we're seeing as a result of the repeal of PASPA that sports betting is now coming in and there's more of that. And we, as I speak on behalf of the whole sports betting industry, we're, we're going to grab our fair chunk of G2A. So that's another benefit of being in this industry. We all go to Vegas for work, exclusively work. Um, it's a great week. It's a great week to be there. It's yeah. a great week. I'd, I'd like to piggyback off of what you just said in, in terms of the talking heads and, and VEASAN, which really is an incredible experience to watch. Um, like I said before, SportRadar also works very closely with a lot of media companies. And with those media partners, we're seeing a lot of new overlaid OTT experiences. We love second screens. I'm watching TV and I'm on my phone. So the second screen experience, at least in terms of insights surrounding the betting industry, content creation and content production with respect to that second screen experience is huge right now. And the opportunities within the industry to leverage the line movement, to leverage whether or not the Knicks are 3-0 against the spread. How, how, how can we do this and what opportunities can we really unlock here, especially in a world where the IGTs and the William Hills have operated stagnantly for so long? But let's talk a little bit. But they're trying. Like the, right now, they're trying. They're yeah. buying companies. They're trying to innovate. But as we all know, entrepreneurs can move quicker. They're more nimble. They can look at things differently. You can look at, I mean, what Nicole just said about, you know, the, the how all these apps look the same. I mean, just just imagine a world where you would go on to your app, and this is something I know Trent said something about this yesterday, like what he's what he's working on in his company. It's like, but like imagine you know, an app that was like a little bit Facebook, a little bit Instagram, a little Twitter, a little, you know, flicking and swiping and having all of those options that we all are so used to now in our own, in a sports betting app. Right. And then you get through the regulators, um, which, which you have to get through, but you, that's, that's possible. It's just, that's what can happen. And that's quite frankly, what, what I think we believe will happen. 
Right, absolutely. I, I don't want to look at my screen for more than three seconds. I don't know if any of you have ever viewed a betting menu, but it does look like the NASDAQ. It's extremely hard to follow. If you don't know what you're doing, it can be extremely intimidating. You don't necessarily know how much you're wagering. What but You love your Knicks. Correct. And you just want that button. Right, exactly. <laughs> I just want the one button that I can look at for three seconds and understand what I'm wagering and what I stand to win, what I stand to lose. And we don't have that yet in the industry. So we're really hoping it comes about. And there's things that are happening, right? I mean, there's, there have been some really interesting things that have happened already in the industry. So a company like PointsBet from Australia comes to the U.S., gets a license in, in New Jersey, and they, start, and they say, you know what? If you want to cash in your bet in the third quarter, you can. Well, what happened in Vegas? They went nuts. The Johnnies, the Vinnies, the, all the guys and Jimmy's went nuts. They're like, wait. Especially Jimmy. He was a real. Jimmy was really yeah. terrible. Jimmy Vaccaro. That's who he's talking about. But I mean, this guy was like so, they were so angry. That's not the rules. That's yeah. not how it works. The game's not over. How are they winning? That's not fair. Well, guess what? It's a new world. It's what we want to make this world. And that's what's so cool about all this right now. There are, the, the rules are out the window. Yeah. And we talk about sort of, you know, the, the sports being apps looking like the NASDAQ. One thing that we've all heard is that education is going to become a really important part of sort of US sports betting because it's, it's not embryonic anymore. It's a little bit more, but it's certainly very early stage. And that, you know, I asked before who has heard of PASPA and that's the reality that most Americans haven't heard of PASPA because so the technicalities of sports betting have been confined to the people who live and breathe that are outside of that. It hasn't really touched on them. But in terms of how you actually engage with sports betting, what do all these terms mean? What does ATS mean? What does the spread mean? And all this sort of stuff and the totals and the over-under. That for the sports betting guys, it's sort of our bread and butter. It's our everyday language. But you're going to see a lot more in terms of education pieces that go on. So because what the sports books want to do, clearly they want more people betting on sport. The way they do is they educate people. You can't do something unless you know how to do it. So you're going to see a heap of education. And the other thing that you're seeing more of is a lot of free-to-play games being run, which clearly we're a part of, because all the sports books, they're looking to grow their database, looking to acquire information on their users. So everything that you do, you know, big data, which is um, you know, where this the sports tech world series actually started as a sports analytics world series. It was all about data analytics. So what they're doing is they're acquiring um, massive amounts of information on their user, because then as time goes by, they're going to be building out personalised experiences and personalised calls to action as I go and personalise this uh, little thing that fell out of my pocket. Um, but personalization is one of the great buzzwords of our industry. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, one of our portfolio companies is called Swish Analytics, and it's amazing. You know, they, you can actually just, by using your finger, you can change the line. I mean, if you want, if you think it's, if it's your 25th birthday, I'll give you an example. They always you love to use 25th birthday. You think Steph Curry is going to score 25 points, and you want to bet on that? You can. It's that simple. And, and that's, those are things that you couldn't do before. You couldn't walk up to the counter in Vegas and say, here's what I want to do. They'll be like, no, let's look on the board and you know, tell me that's what, that's what you got. You know, now it's like, what do, what do you want? What do you think? What do you want? How, how do you want to be involved in this world? And because the supercomputers and the data scientists and the, you know, the, 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 you know, all the incredible geniuses that, are, that basically created all the super, you know, all the amazing trading that goes on, you know, in, in places like North Jersey and in, in Connecticut and in Chicago and all these amazing, you know, th these new, all these market makers that did incredible things in that market are now starting to sort of look at what, what's happening here. They're more than looking at it. They're in it. 
Um, you know, what our company Swish in, in San Francisco. I mean, the P P we have we have an incredible amount of people leaving Facebook and Google and Twitter and coming over to work with us because they get to work in sports now, and they get to do some really great things with all the things that they were doing in the past. But it's not just you know doing search or social media and like now it's like no this is what I want to do and I get to do this all the time. So the talents coming to this industry, we're looking for more talented people constantly. Um, on on the seventy six capital website, we have a list of all the opportunities for across all our companies, uh, whether it's in sports betting or esports or any of the worlds that we that we invest in, but we're constantly looking for talent now. We're looking for fresh ideas, new new ideas, and, and people that are really smart that want to dive into this industry. For young people interested in sport, I'm not sure there's a more fun industry to get into. I could say that's one business problem we don't have is finding people who want to come and work for us because it admittedly you know, more of a male-dominated industry, and we're hoping to change it. It's great to have Nicole up here with us today. But for guys who want to be in sport and sports data and, and fan engagement and betting, that we're the sort of companies that you come to. So we get sort of messages all the time basically saying, hey, can I work for you? Whereas other industries sort of to hold on to talent is a, a massive problem. But I can tell you, it's heaps of fun what we do, and I'd suggest a lot more fun than most industries. Well, and I think one of the things we should probably even touch on, since we're sitting in a locker room, we should talk about athletes, right? I mean, and, and, and in this industry, and you know, and how, how athletes can get involved now. I mean, because, and I see Marcus back there, we're gonna be judging some of the business plan stuff later, but I mean, you didn't talk about betting in the locker room in New, in New Orleans, well, did you? Oh, did you? We weren't allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> you've, got a, you've got this thing called the Fifth Amendment here, don't you? Exactly. <laughs> But I mean, you weren't, you weren't supposed to talk about this, right? This was not something that was talked about inside of the walls of an athletic facility. I mean, you, this is, you didn't talk about these things. This was like the little thing off to the side. You call your, you know, you call your guy or you text your guy and that kind of a thing. This is a, but what's interesting now is that you, you have a lot of you know, former athletes who this is a great way for them to engage and use their their knowledge and their experience and get involved with companies that are are doing the next next thing in sports and certainly that's what sports betting is all about with respect to the next best thing in sports and i would like to just pivot quickly on the athlete point and talent as well we're we're seeing a lot of different data sources be used at least to enhance those sophisticated and really cool types of bet markets Performance data is one of them. We recently saw the NFL strike a deal with Sport Radar for the next generation statistics. This is the performance-based data. It's the chip data in your shoulder pads. Using that to enhance your bet markets is going to be extremely valuable and extremely industry-changing because it's novel. Nobody's really ever done it before. Um, and with respect to talent, I'm certainly not a data scientist, and I don't purport to be, but I do happen to know that that set of data is extremely thick. It's deep, and it's heavy, and the talent needs to be there to, to work through it, to QA it, to understand what you can and cannot do with it, and there's a huge hole right now, at least for that capability, on the operator side. How realistic do you think it is that um, it will actually be forced upon operators to use official data feeds as opposed to, well, data feeds that aren't official? Well, with Sport Raiders experience and the major core four leagues, they've embraced the industry. They've embraced the sale of official data and the exploitation of those rights in, in the sports betting world. Um, but I, I don't necessarily think 
it's the right question to be asking, and that's more so. I'm doing a really poor job as a moderator, then. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't, I don't, I don't challenge your moderation <laughs> capabilities. But pivoting back to the bookmaker, whether or not achieving a, a legalizing and writing into law that a bookmaker needs to use official data isn't necessarily the right question. What does the bookmaker want? The bookmaker needs to use the best product, and right now we are seeing that the official data sources are the best product. As long as it's fast data, it's accurate data, and it's extremely reliable, the bookmaker will be happy. SportRadar just probably happens to have a few official data deals, I'd be guessing. It is the best product. <laughs> you can be head of PR as opposed to our corporate <laughs> counsel. Well, we're partners together at, with, uh, at, at MLB yes. with our company, Swish Analytics, which is also an authorized data provider. Um, and I think that there's, it's interesting to see having you know, a different you know, how, how each league will do this and, and how they'll use different data providers for, for different things. So. Right. But it's early. I mean, again, this is, it's so early. It was just May 14th of last year. And that's the thing to remember. And that's the part that is, is, is super exciting for, for all of us that, you know, every day something big's happening. Every hour something's pretty much happening. I mean, who knows what's popping up on Legal Sports Report in the last few hours. I mean, I, you know, who knows? Who knows what, what, what's happening? I mean, and, 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 that's, and that's the part that's, that's just that's thrilling and, and to, be, to be in it right now. And, you know, our, our whole thing is, again, you know, I've said this, and I want to say it again. I mean, we want to find entrepreneurs who really want to push the limits in this industry and invest in them and get behind them and do some really special things together. That was a great discussion there from the USA Sports Tech Conference uh, held, as I said, last year at Toyota Stadium in Frisco, just north of Dallas. So... If you did enjoy that, there's plenty more content like that available on sportstechworldseries.com. So you can find a lot of the previous uh, sessions that have been there, but also more interesting kind of articles and also the physical events. So you can come along and, and see something like that in person. So throughout Sports Tech Feed, we will intersperse a few of those things throughout the series. But next week, we're back to our standard interview format. If you have any feedback, please contact me, thomas at sportstechfeed.com. Always love to hear from you and looking forward to seeing you next week.